Well, there's a, a widespread assumption that uh, you're going to find this idea in every single world religion, um, and, and certainly Christianity is no uh, exception to this. Um, in fact, actually, you'll, you'll even find this idea outside of, of organized religion. And it's expressed, it's communicated, it's written about, it's talked about in a bunch of different ways. Um, but basically, when you kind of drill down at its core, the, the idea is simply this, that up there somewhere is this good God who is surrounded by a bunch of good people. And if I ever want to be with that good God and with those good people, th then I have to be good. And, and you have to be good. And you have to get gooder. And I have to get gooder in order to get God to love us and to accept us. Now, here's a question um, that you've probably never thought of before because you like have families you have to raise and you have to go to jobs and you have work to do and, and you have to you know take care of your house and do things like that basically you all have real lives right and so only people like me right we kind of sit around and we think about things like this right but like where in the world did that whole idea actually come from right where did that come from that God is good and that we're bad and so in order for us think about this to have credibility with him and to have acceptance with him and to gain favor from him, to get him to answer your prayers, to get him to heal your son, to get him to heal your daughter, to get him to help you with your business. Where did the idea come from that by behaving our way or keeping a standard or keeping a rule or keeping a law or obeying some law, that somehow by doing that we're going to gain credibility and acceptance with God? Like where in the world did that actually come from? And see, the interesting thing is this, that idea is so widespread that even if you're here today, if you're watching with us today, and even if you would say, okay, I'm not sure that I really um, buy into the whole Jesus thing, I don't know that I really believe like the, the whole Bible, like maybe parts of it are true, I don't know if it's all true. Um, if you and I were talking afterwards, right, and I had the chance to just sit down like, you know, face to face and, and talk to you and, and say to you, you know, privately, because, and, and I wouldn't do this unless you wanted to have this conversation just know that but if i were to say to you okay like do you think that there's a heaven because most people think there's a heaven um do you think you're going there like one day why is it that more than likely regardless of your experience with church or religion or anything why is it that probably what you would do is you would think back to some decisions and choices maybe that you've made in the past maybe that you're making right now and, and then kind of say okay well i hope so i i hope so like, why is it that most of us, right, why, 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 why do we think, if we really are honest, why is it that we associate our behavior with our acceptability to God? I mean, isn't that strange? Like, where in the world did that idea come from? Now, here's why we're going to be talking about this today. Um, because of this, listen, um, that whole idea, right, that whole idea that the better I am and, and the, the better um, you are and the better that we are um, and the better I act, the more I behave myself, um, that, that somehow makes me acceptable to God. That idea has actually done more to alienate people from God than anything else in human culture. Because, and you know this, right, the truth is this, guilt is actually a very short-term motivator, isn't it? And see, what's so incredibly fascinating and interesting to me is that if God has ever sent the world a message, the message that God has sent to us is the exact opposite of that. That you don't ever, that I can't ever, that none of us, that we will ever find acceptance with God through our behavior. 
Now, throughout 2022, we've been in a journey together as a church, as we have been reading through the entire Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. We've been doing this with the Bible Recap. We started doing this together on, on January the 1st, and on October the 1st, we are going to kind of make a big shift, and we're going to move into the, the New Testament. And so um, even if you haven't joined us yet, if you've kind of fallen by the wayside over the summer and you, and you kind of stopped doing this for a while, this is the perfect time for you to either join or rejoin with us and make 2022 the year that you have read more of the Bible than ever before in your life. And so if you go to this link on our website, you will find everything that you need to join in or rejoin in with us. And I really hope that you'll do this because on October the 1st, again, we start the, the start the New Testament together corporately. And so for a couple of weeks, what, what I wanted to do is just kind of hit the pause button on Sunday morning. And I wanted for us just corporately, as we get ready to listen, as we get ready to read together, right, I just wanted to take a look at a few of, of the key ways, just a couple of the ways that more than a thousand years before Jesus was born, that our Heavenly Father was working to get humanity ready to actually see Jesus and to recognize Jesus when he would show up. Because the truth is, it's actually very, very early on in human history, 1450 B.C., that our Heavenly Father, that God actually sent the world a message that would foreshadow the message of Jesus. And that made it so clear for all of us, right, that none of us, we do not perform our way, we do not behave our way into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that message is actually found in the very, very beginning of the Bible. And it's found in a story that has been used, and in fact, misused and, and twisted um, in all kinds of different ways um, to support this whole idea that, okay, God's got all these rules and laws and what he's done is he's kind of thrown them out to humanity. And so now he's kind of standing back, you know, with his arms crossed saying, okay, take your best shot. Um, let's see how you do. And, and yet the truth is, not only is that whole idea wrong, um, that completely misses, that whole idea just completely misses um, the heart of our Heavenly Father. Because it's in this event that we're going to look at together today um, that we actually discover the connection that Jesus would make for us 1,500 years later, between uh, the connection between the rules of God and a relationship with God, a connection that helps us to clearly see Jesus. So if you want to follow along with us today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. You can use one of the Bibles in the, in the seat back in front of you. Feel free to follow along on, on your Bible app. Um, but here's what happens, Exodus chapter 20. We briefly talked about this event um, in the last series that we were in together. Um, Moses, right, is at the base of the Mount Sinai. God is about to give his law, right, the, the law of God uh, to the nation of Israel. God is about to give Israel their law. And so Moses and the Israelites are all camped out in the desert, um, and, and Moses is getting ready to go up this mountain called Mount Sinai, and, and that's where God has said he's going to give Moses his law. And so you got to use your imaginations with me a little bit on this, um, but for 400 years, right, four, which we just can't really picture, I think, for 400 years before this event, the nation of Israel ha has been slaves, right? And if you've grown up in church, I get it. You've heard that so many times, it kind of loses its significance. Um, but here's what that means. It means that when the nation of Israel went to elementary school, right, and they learned the history of their country, like they learned their entire history in five minutes, right? Because the entire history of their nation was slavery. That's it. 
right? They, they had no history before they were slaves. There was just this guy who, who lived a long, long time ago named Abraham. And Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and, and Jacob had 12 sons. And eventually these 12 sons, they all ended up getting married and having families. And all 12 of these families, they moved into the nation of Egypt as free people. But they weren't a nation. They were just this, this supersized family. And over time, that family became a larger and larger family, but they weren't a nation. They were just a really big family. And then one day, Egypt decided to enslave the family. And it was while they were enslaved that they actually became a, a nation because you didn't, you, you, you didn't understand. Nobody wanted to marry a slave, right? You didn't bring a Jewish boy home. You didn't bring a Jewish girl home to meet the parents, right? Because you, um, you don't marry down, right? You marry up. Right, so, so Israel ends up being an entire nation of, of nothing than just Jewish people who are slaves. Right, So they're a slave nation living inside the nation uh, of Egypt. They have no law because they don't need any law. When you're a slave, you just wake up every morning and you say, okay, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to say yes to whatever you tell me because if I say no, I'm not waking up tomorrow morning. Right? So the answer is just always yes. So they had no law. They had no government. They had no king. They had hardly any of what you and I would think of as a society. They just had some random behaviors that they actually copied from the Egyptians um, who they hated. Right? That was it. And so for 400 years, all they knew collectively, their history, their whole history, was just slavery and oppression. But now suddenly God has brought them to the base of this mountain and he's told them that he's about to give them their law, right? His law. And so God calls Moses up the mountain, and this is what God says to Moses. God tells Moses this in, in verse 2. He says, Moses, listen, I am the Lord your God, right? To, to which Moses is like, okay, wait, wait a minute, time out. I think you made a mistake. I think you meant to say I am the Lord a God. Uh, no, you meant I am the Lord the God. And, and God says, no, no, Moses, you heard me the first time. I am the Lord, your God. So, and Moses is like, okay, wait, 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 time out. See, th this implies that we have a, a relationship, right? This implies um, that, that we've done something. But newsflash, like we've been slaves for the last 400 years. We haven't done anything. Like I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we don't even know what we're supposed to do. That's actually why I'm here right now is I'm supposed to find out from you what it is that you want us to do so that we can have a relationship with you. So you can tell us what it is that we're supposed to do so that we can actually be good people. But you haven't told us anything yet. And now you're saying that we're already your people? Like just like that? And God says, okay, well, not just like that because you kind of interrupted me a little bit. I am the Lord your God, right? Who? And then he brings Moses down memory lane, right? And he makes this incredible statement, right? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery right i am the lord your god who has done something for you and you have done nothing for me this is the gospel right this is the gospel don't miss this hundreds and hundreds of years before jesus this is the good news of god i am the lord your god who sent a deliverer to you while you were in your darkest hour and when you had given up hope and when you least expected it, I sent a deliverer to you and I brought you out of Egypt because I am the Lord, your God. I have done something miraculous and spectacular for you and, you, and I have not asked anything of you. 
See, this is God saying this. Don't, don't miss this. Before I give you my rules, I want to know, I want you to know that you're mine and I'm yours. So let's make sure that we're really, really clear about our relationship before we start talking about any rules. Right, and see, if you haven't read through this event as an adult, okay, you really, really need to do that. Because if your only experience of what we're talking about today, if that kind of comes from childhood, if it comes from Sunday school or vacation Bible school or, or some story that you remember being played out on a flannel graph someplace, right, it is so easy to miss the fact that it, it wasn't until literally the day before Right, the day before God led this nation of people out of Egypt, that God tells Moses to ask the people to do anything. And what he asks them to do is simply one thing. He simply says, I just want you to trust me. I, I just want you to trust me. That God had in fact spent months and months and months proving himself to everyone before he ever asked anyone to trust him. And see, when you read this event for yourself, you, you begin to realize that these spectacular events that so many of us have heard about as we were growing up, th these didn't happen in rapid-fire succession. These were played out over the course of four or five or perhaps even six months. And on what would be the, the last night that the Israelites were actually in Egypt, it wasn't until that last night that God finally says to them, okay, I just want you to trust me. I just want you to trust me because tonight, before you go to bed, I want every single family to gather together and I want you to have a special meal. I want every family to sacrifice a lamb, right, which they all would have done countless times before as slaves in Egypt. But this time God says, after you sacrifice the lamb, I, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to mark the top and the sides of the door of your home with that lamb's blood. And the people all thought to themselves, okay, why in the world would we do that? I mean, that's weird. Like, that's, that's, that's not going to do anything. And God simply said, trust me. Right? Trust me. And so that night, the Jewish people, they ate a special meal. They, they slaughtered lambs. And they took the blood of those lambs and they placed that blood on the top and on the sides of the doors to their homes. And then after the meal, they went to inside their homes. They gathered up everything they had because they were told the very next day, right, the very next day they would be leaving. Like, really? Like, we've been here for 400 years. And tomorrow? Like, tomorrow tomorrow we're, we're leaving? I mean, really? And God said, trust me. Right, trust me. And that night, the angel of death, he, he went all throughout the land of Egypt and, and he passed over, right? He passed over every single household where the blood of a lamb was on the door. And the very next morning, Pharaoh got up and he looked at Moses and the people of Israel and he said, go, just go. Just take everything you own. In fact, you can take everything that we own too. I, I don't even care, just go. And so from that moment on, right, the, the Jewish people, every year would gather together to celebrate the festival of Passover to remember, right? Not the Ten Commandments, not the law of God, but to remember the night that God whispered to a nation of people, listen, I just want you to trust me because I am going to deliver you 
from your slavery in Egypt. And three months later, right, three months later, there they are at the base of Mount Sinai. And so God says to them, okay, now I'm going to give you some laws. But let's just make sure that you do not forget about the most important thing. Listen, I am the Lord, your God. You are my people. And I am the one. I am the one who has brought you out and delivered you out of your slavery. And see, it's in that moment, right? Think about this. It's in that moment before Moses knows anything else about this God, right? He doesn't even know his name at this point. It, he, Moses, the only thing Moses knows, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt. Listen, we're not here to get in with God. The only reason we're here right now is because we're already in. We're not here to establish a relationship with God. No, we've already got one. We didn't even know what we were supposed to do. We, we didn't even know the rules. We didn't even know his name. We knew nothing. We had done nothing. And God just decided, right, for some reason that we don't even really fully understand. He just decided that he was going to deliver us from slavery. And see, right there, right, right there in that moment, right, before, 1,500 years before Jesus is born, the same message that Jesus would teach about, the same message Jesus would preach about, the same message that Jesus would tell stories about, the greatest message that any human being can ever hear, that a relationship with God is not predicated on keeping rules. Because God established a relationship with people before we even knew what the rules were. A relationship. A relationship that would be based not on rule keeping or law keeping. A relationship that he was about to illustrate to the whole world. That I have chosen a people. Not because of what they have done. Not because of how they performed. But a relationship that's based solely on trust. See, that's the message of the Old Testament. And that's the message of the New Testament. And that is the message of Jesus. And so imagine, right? Imagine what's going through Moses' mind as God is speaking. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so because of who I am and because of what it is that I've already done for you, Right, here's what I want you to do. As you and I learn to live together, God is saying, as you learn to live with each other. And see, it's with all of that in the background, all of that is the context. Then God says, then you're ready for the first rule. You're ready for the very first law. And what's even more amazing, right, is that God's very first law, his very first rule, it's not a thou shalt not. It's a thou shall. God says to Moses, listen, you shall have no other gods before me. And Moses has got to be like, okay, you can put a check mark next to that one, right? I mean, after everything you, you've done for us, right, you, you brought us out of slavery. Our children are going to have a future. Our grandchildren are actually going to have a future. We're going to have our own land. We're going to have our own king. We're going to be our own people. Are you kidding me right now? Why in the world would we want any other God than you? No problem. 
you are our God and we are your people, absolutely, right? Absolutely, you're our God. Now, please do not miss what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is going to impact everything you read in the Bible throughout the course of your entire life. Everything you read in the Old Testament, everything that you read in the New Testament, all of it is focused on understanding this one thing that I'm about to say. Rules never establish a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Rules are always a confirmation of a relationship with your Heavenly Father. God was not giving them a bunch of laws so they could get in. God gave them these laws because they were already in. Right? When it comes to your Heavenly Father, rules are a confirmation of relationship. They are not a condition of relationship. And understand this. Listen, the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, these are the oldest laws that we can connect anywhere to God. Right? This is 1,500 years before Jesus. This is 2,100 years before Muhammad. This is as far back as we can go in any piece of literature and connect law to God. And see, understand, it didn't have to be this way, right? God could have made it completely conditional. But instead, at the very beginning, right, as far back as we can go, God made it abundantly clear to everyone, listen, you are my people, even though you have not done a thing to deserve it. And now that we have that as the basis of our relationship, now I want to teach you how to learn to, to live together and how to learn to live under my authority. And so let's just start with the basics. Just don't have any other gods than me. And what else can I do to demonstrate the fact that you can trust me? Now, here's what's kind of interesting. And if you've been reading with us through the the Bible this past year in 2022, this is what undoubtedly you've experienced at, at some level, okay? Um, you start off, right, with Genesis, and Genesis is great. It's kind of interesting. It's fun. Exodus is pretty good. Um, you get to Leviticus, and it's kind of like, okay, well, that's, you know, different a little bit, yeah. Um, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and it's like, okay, haven't we done this before? And then you get to you get to the prophets eventually, and you're just like, okay, what is going on? They're, they're all crazy, like these ranting, loon, raving, lunatic madmen. Like, what what is going on? It's just the same thing over and over and over, right? And you read, and like all of a sudden, one of them makes this amazing statement, and you realize some worship leader took that, like, and made this amazing song. And you're like, I didn't think that that came from like that section. Where did they get this from, right? That's kind of what happens. See, let me tell you what that whole experience, what that's telling us. Listen, the prophets are actually evidence of the fact that God was not going to give up on his people even when they did disobey his law. The entire history, right, the entire history of the nation of Israel is in fact evidence that God actually opts for the family model over the club model Every single time, right? You know what the club model is? The club model is simply this. If you want to stay in the club, you got to keep the rules. That's the club model. It's easy. Years and years ago, I joined a boat club, right? I uh, joined a boat club, and no exaggeration, very first thing before I ever got a letter from them or an email saying, hey, welcome, or we're glad that you've joined, um, first thing I got from my boat club was this long list of rules, right? And so I took that to mean I'm in the club. Great. 
But see, the family model, right, in the family model, listen, you're born into a family, and so you are a part uh, of the family, right? Your parents don't make rules for you to get you to be part of the family. You are a part of the family, so they establish some rules for you, right? Because us parents, we only make rules for our kids. We do not make rules for other people's kids, right? If you're a dog owner and you've got a fence, right, whose dog do you keep in your yard? not a trick question right your dog right your dog you keep your dog in your fence this past week autumn and i are at, at home and i'm going out the front door and our dog athena like i open the door and she just bolts out the front door starts running down the street and autumn's just then standing there looking at me like what are you gonna do i'm like it's fine don't worry about it not a problem right she's not my dog She's not in my yard, so she's no longer my dog. Now she belongs to whoever's yard she's in, right? No problem. <laughs> no, what I do? I run out the door, I run down the street, and I'm chasing her all up and down the street like a madman, right? And finally, finally she gets tired enough, and she lets me pick her up, right? And I carried her back home. Now listen. The f these words that you see every single time you walk into the lobby of our building, right? Belong, believe, become. This is how the family model is lived out. If we're really serious about being a church that actually brings Jesus into every relationship, see, this is why these words can't just be words. It's why these words have to permeate every single thing that we do, right? Because you know what the message of the club model is, right? Think about this. The message of the club model is, listen, if you do what you're supposed to do and you believe what you're supposed to believe, if you, um, then you can belong. If you, if you behave the way we expect you to behave, then you can be accepted, right? Then you, then you can be loved. Then you can be cared about. That's the message of the club. Right, but see, that's not the message of our Heavenly Father. And he has never had that message. That's not who he has ever been. But that is the God that some of you were told about, isn't it? And no wonder you didn't want to worship that God. No wonder you, you didn't want to come to church and hear about that God. No wonder you weren't interested in having a relationship with that God. And see, listen, if, if God's relationship with Israel, right, if his relationship with Israel, if that really is to be a model for all of us as to how it is that God actually wants to have a relationship with each of us individually, that even when we do rebel and even when we are disobedient and even when we do go too far, right, and even when we do get outside of the fence and we do break the rules and we do, um, we do things that we know we're not supposed to do, um, that, that God actually never leaves us. That instead, like any good parent, right, he, he chases us down, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. That is a stunning, that is a stunning truth. That is a truth that actually speaks volumes about the heart, the length, the depth, the grace, the love, the compassion, the mercy that's found in our Heavenly Father. 
right? And when, when you consider that, when you understand all that as the context, the, in light of what God wants with each of us to have a personal relationship with us, when you consider how God initiated and how he began his relationship with Israel, right, when you read this for yourself, one thing is just absolutely certain. This comes, it comes through so crystal clear. Listen, when you read this section of scripture for yourself, it is so clear um, that, that this was never just about Israel, right? That this was always about all of humanity. And see, here's how we know this, okay? Because at the very, very, very beginning of it all, right, long before Israel is a nation, before Israel is even a slaves, before Israel is even a big family, long before um, there's an Isaac or a Jacob or an Ishmael, right, long before any of that. There's just a promise. There's just a promise that God made to a man named Abraham. When God said to Abraham, listen, all peoples, right, all peoples on earth, they will be blessed through you, Abraham. Right, all, not, not all peoples, not just the nations, Isaac and Ishmael, that you would become. Not just the, the people that you would become, Abraham. No, all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. This is 400 years before the Ten Commandments. For 400 years, God was demonstrating that a relationship with him is not based on behavior, but it is based on trust. Based on faith. All peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through the promise that God has made. It's why 700 years later, God would speak to the nation of Israel once again through the prophet Isaiah and remind the nation of Israel, listen, I will make you, Israel, to be a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. It's why God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel and he reminded everyone, he said, I will save them meaning not Israel, meaning us, Gentiles. I will save them from all the ways that they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. In other words, Israel, right? Now, this is what God's saying. My plan has never been to only be your God. Because Israel, as much as I love you, as much as I have given for you, Israel, as much as I have chosen for you, chosen you my love has never been just about you. My love has always been bigger than just you. My love is for all people. This is for everyone. Right? So we should not be surprised. Listen, that 800 years after the prophet Isaiah, 1,500 years, think about this, after Moses, right, that God would once again send a deliverer to the nation of Israel. This time, as the baby of Bethlehem. The one that John the, John the Baptist would look at one day and declare in front of all the people of Israel, look, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Right, and what does this deliverer do? Think about it. Before he demands anything, before he requires anything from anyone, he turns nature upside down. He does miracles the likes of which people have not seen in Israel for 1,500 
year. He speaks to storms. He heals the sick. He restores the broken. He does things that no one can imagine any human being being able to do. And then he simply says, trust me. Trust me. Because see, the promise that God fulfilled through Abraham, the promise that God fulfilled through Israel, right, that's a promise for all people. And see, just as God's promise was received by Abraham through faith, and just as God's promise to Israel was received through the, by the nation of Israel through faith, I mean, should it really surprise us today that God's promise to us, his gift to us, would be received by us in any other way? And see, this is why the Apostle John, the man that knew Jesus the best, think about this, the man that Jesus entrusted the care of his mom to after he was dead. It's why John, when he was thinking about his experience with Jesus and kind of chronicling his life with Jesus, it's why John would look back one day and write these amazing words. To all who did receive Jesus, to those who behaved. No. No. To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God, which means this is so important. Okay, please do not miss this. This is God saying, anytime you hear me giving you a rule, anytime you experience me giving you a rule, just understand it's just evidence. It's just evidence that I love you. Anything I ask you to do is evidence of my love for you. Right? It's the very same reason why when you hear that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, Right? And we don't think about this. But that assumes that Jesus believed you would be a sinner, that I would be a sinner. Right? It, it assumed Jesus did not die on the cross for you to get it right. He died on the cross because he knew that you, like me, would get it wrong. And so anytime you read, anytime you hear, anytime you experience your Heavenly Father or your Savior giving you a rule, It's just evidence. It's just evidence that you're in, that you're his. You're his child. And he's simply saying, trust me. I just want you to trust me. Before I pray for us. Once again, I've got a couple of questions I would love for you to talk about in a small group. I'd love for you to talk about these over lunch, maybe with your family, uh, maybe with some friends, maybe over dinner tonight. Um, but at the very least, for you to just kind of think about this and be honest with, with yourself about this, right? If you didn't grab, these are on our outline. If you didn't grab one, you can grab a picture of this. Those of you who are watching online, like just screenshot this right now. Why do you think? That it's so easy for us to feel like in order to get God's attention or his love that we have to be good. Why is that just so easy? And then I want you to read two sections of scripture that we kind of alluded to today. Exodus 12, Matthew 26. Just read both of those. And I want you to just talk about what is it that God's preparing for us to see 
in Jesus in those two sections of Scripture. And then the last one is this. When did you, or if you're honest, have you, have you come to realize that all you needed to do was to trust God in order to have a relationship with him? Have you come to realize that? Or when did you first realize that? Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I know, um, Father, I know for many of us this is a familiar story. And yet I, I, I do, Holy Spirit, I also know, I know that for somebody here today, somebody watching today, I know that this is brand new. I, I know that this whole idea of this, that this is really, that this is what's at the heart of having a relationship with you. I know that this is, um, this is brand new for somebody. Because up until now, if I'm honest, I thought, they thought, it was about something that I did. They thought having a relationship with you meant cleaning up their act, being better, being good. But Father, today, for somebody, for somebody, this is the first time that they've realized has nothing to do with anyone other than you. That it's about Jesus, what you've done. Not what I did, not what somebody else did. And so if that is you today, if that kind of light bulb went off, you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, I, I would just encourage you, um, you can pray these words with me, you can use your own words but I would just encourage you to simply say this. If you're at home right now, if you're here right now, Jesus, could, could you just please give me the, the faith that I need to, to trust you? And, and Jesus, I do want to thank you. I want to thank you for offering to be, for being willing to be the Savior and the Lord that I need. And so just please help me to follow you so I can understand more about why you would choose to love me. Father, thank you so much that you're the one who is good and so we don't have to be. Thank you that you just choose to love us in spite of that. And Father, my pray for, prayer for all of us is this, that we would always remember, especially as we prepare to open up the New Testament together, to follow Jesus together into the New Testament and through the New Testament, that anywhere we open up or we hear your word and we hear you giving us a rule or a command or a law, that we would just always be reminded that's just more evidence. It's just more evidence that you have already chosen us, that you're, we're already in Jesus, I pray and ask all of this 